Well, good morning. So uh, some of you cheated and didn't come to first service and you came to this one. Means you are probably a little bit more afraid of the weather first service because I'm seeing faces that are normally here first service that are here in second. And, and there are others that didn't come because they're worried about the roads. Thank the Lord the ice storm didn't come. So uh, two days ago, I had a lot of people saying, what are you going to do about the services? And I just said, well, God's in charge of the weather, and this is also a worship of God moment in the service. We'll trust him for what happens, and we're here. So I'm truly thankful to open the Word of God with all of you this morning. And uh, so if you are new, let me just quickly just share that uh, my name is Tony, and we teach out of the Word of God each week because we want to receive from him. I'm merely just an ambassador of what is written by God over time in these written scriptures that we have to learn how to live learn how to have hope, and to have purpose in our lives. And we have been studying the life of Daniel. And uh, Daniel is a man that lived a few hundred years ahead of, of Jesus Christ. And he was a prince of Israel. He was a part of the uh, royal household of, of King David. And, uh, and there came a time where he was basically uh, at the wrong place at the wrong time and the wrong generation. Uh, and so we're going to open the word and learn a little bit from his life. And so if you wouldn't mind, if you have a Bible to turn in your Bibles or go to your phone, your Bible apps where we have actual notes on the Holy Bible app. If you have that for uh, your smart devices, you'll find if you go to events uh, tab, you can then see that LEFC is on there and get those notes. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, our ushers will provide you one uh, right now. And where we're going to be today is Daniel 12, and uh, that is on page 841 in the Bibles being handed out. So having said that, Daniel, uh, interesting story. Uh, imagine if in your family tree there was written transcripts that would tell of your family's future. Kind of an interesting concept. Most of us, we look back, we go to Ancestry.com or some other kind of DNA thing to try to figure out our past. Well, imagine your past being known, like written down by, by your former uh, tribes people that, that say everything about your history, including about your grandfather who five generations before had made some blunderous heirs and as a result, God was very upset with him and said that you will suffer the consequences. But more importantly, the consequences will be passed on to your grandchildren. So here's the story. Hezekiah, who was the king um, just a few generations after David, uh, was sick, deathly sick, and, and was about to die. And then God basically gave him some more time because Hezekiah asked for it. And as a result, many other people uh, had thought he was going to die and then hear that he was surviving. And people like the king of Babylon sent emissaries to this king to make sure that there were well wishes given and uh, to make sure things were well. But not all everything is what they appear. The Babylonians were likely doing this to scout the land. So they send a bunch of emissaries to go uh, meet King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah being very proud in the moment because 
the king of Babylon, which is one of the greatest empires of his time, sent emissaries to make sure I was okay. So what did he do? He pulled out the red carpet for these emissaries and showed them everything. He took great pride in showing them uh, the palace and the temple and the land. And, and I'm sure the Babylonians were quite impressed. But God was not. When the Babylonians left, God sent a messenger to Hezekiah and said, What you have done has infuriated God Almighty. And as a result of your great sin of pride, showing this nation all that you've done, that nation will actually come and take away all that you have shown them. This must have alarmed Hezekiah because he'd shown them everything. So everything he had shown was going to be taken away over to Babylon. And then God said, and not only uh, will they take them, uh, those possessions, but they will take some of your offspring. Some of your royal princes will go with those Babylonians and they will serve in the foreign kingdom of Babylon. You would think that Hezekiah would be horrified by this great pronouncement, but instead he celebrated because he found out that the consequences weren't going to be on him, but the consequences were going to be on his children's children and beyond. So imagine, Daniel knows these things. He's five generations later. He knows about this prophecy that someday the Babylonians will come and take everything, including the princes. And so I'm sure like every generation prior between Hezekiah and Daniel, they were all hoping that it's not their generation. But unfortunately for Daniel, it was his generation. The Babylonians showed up. They took everything as what had been said to Hezekiah, including the royal princes, which then would have also included Daniel. Daniel's taken to Babylon. Not again, not something that he wanted. He's now being forced to learn to be a Babylonian, to learn all their ways, to learn how they worship their foreign gods and their false gods, to learn how to behave like a Babylonian, to eat like a Babylonian, and he's going to be forced to serve the king. And as a result of being forced to serve the king, he was emasculated, made to not be able to have children any longer so that he would not create offspring that would be a threat to Babylon. Now, imagine if this was you. If you were the person that was suffering the consequences of a grandfather. The grandfather had sinned greatly and now you are suffering for it. Not only are you now away from home and isolated, but you're now a slave and you are no longer the man that you used to be. How would you feel if everything about your identity was taken from you? Especially when you know it's not your fault. So that's where we began this series is not of my making. It was not of Daniel's making that he ends up in the context of his life being a slave in a foreign kingdom, forced to serve foreign kings and foreign gods and to live out a life that was an offense to him. I think if some of us had experienced that story, we'd be furious with our grandfather. We'd be furious with those who had gone before us. It would be very easy to play the victim card but he did not. He did not play the victim card. In fact, instead, he chose his identity to be found in God alone. You see, 
even though he is being forced to learn to be Babylonian in behavior, in the way he dressed, in the way he ate. He was being forced into a lot of things he did not like. But he continued to allow his identity to be rooted as a child of God. He didn't sway to the right or to the left. He continued to keep his eyes on God. Now, it's also true that if he had access to knowing about his generations of, of waiting for this, for this prophecy to come true, he would also then know that Jeremiah the prophet had also said not too long before this that, the, that when the Babylonians come, they'll be taken into Babylon and be forced to be slaves there for 70 years. So Daniel knows it's a time frame of 70 years. Now, how do you live? That's the choice he has. Do I let my identity just become that of a slave? Do I play the victim card? Well, if I choose to remain true to the God that I worship, how do I do that when all around me is animosity to that? How do I stay the course of being a child of God? In this journey, something that became very profound about Daniel is that somehow in the midst of being forced into a context he did not want or deserve, hope was the primary emotion that was discerned by those around him. You see, how else can you describe that he lived his life with intentionality, he lived his life with purpose, he lived his life not in wallowing in his pity, but instead, he continued to be confident that God was in control and that God was the leader of his life and in God was his identity. You see, hope was the determining factor that clearly emoted from his life. Now, this title of this series is called Thriving in Babylon because somehow, in the midst of all this context, Daniel thrived. He thrived in a manner that not only affected his close friends and affected his life, but eventually affected four different kings and kingdoms of Babylon. So it's from this title that Larry Osborne wrote his book, Studying the Life of Daniel. And in this book, he makes this statement at the end of it. Larry says, don't buy the lie that your lives, my life, does not matter. You do. Don't buy the lie that your response to evil in your workplace, community, family, and our nation does not matter. It does. We just have to push the right buttons. They're called hope, humility, and wisdom. Hope, humility, and wisdom. So today, we're going to conclude this whole series looking at Daniel and kind of doing an overview, but focusing in on those three things, hope, humility, and wisdom. Because in the end of the day, it was those attributes in Daniel that gave him opportunity to influence those around him. We're going to speak to hope first, and then we're going to pause and celebrate the hope that you and I have this side of the cross by remembering what Jesus did and taking communion. 
So I will speak on hope for 15 minutes. We'll do communion together to remember where our hope comes from. And then we'll continue in the message. So don't think that my sermon ends in 15 minutes. <laughs> so here we go. Hope. Hope. Before we go into Daniel 12, which we'll do after the communion, I just have some statements that we've said along the way in this series about hope and also tied to part of the series before the series called Anchored that also spoke to hope. So here we go. Four things about hope. Number one, hope draws strength from something greater. When you think about it, somebody that is hopeful isn't hopeful because they look at themselves. Hope is something that is relying upon something beyond themselves, something greater. So hope, hope that lasts, hope that has some kind of foundation, draws strength from something greater. And secondly, hope creates a path then to walk in the midst of difficulty. So if you have hope that draws strength from something that is greater, then it, that hope then creates a path by how you can walk in the midst of something that is absolutely difficult or harrowing that might cause you to back off and quit living. Back in June, when we preached at, at, at Sunday in the part about hope, remember what the statistics said. If you remove hope from a person's life, whatever their hope is in, if you remove hope and they become hopeless, the natural response to that is suicidal thoughts or the desire to quit living. You see, you and I are designed to believe that there is something greater beyond the moment. And I believe that that is divinely designed. So if you take away hope, why do you even live tomorrow? It becomes a, a selfish, self-centered path if you take away hope. So therefore, if hope is drawing strength from something greater than oneself, it is also therefore creating a path based on what our hope is in, creates the path by which we can walk in the midst of difficulty. And for those of us who have known and had a relationship with Jesus Christ, that hope into something greater is hope in Christ. And that hope in Christ gives you and I purpose to each day's challenges and successes. So let me stop for a moment. Let me just speak to those who have had a relationship with Jesus Christ before they walked in these doors. If you take away the storyline of the cross, if you take away the storyline of how on that cross he died and three days later he resurrected from the dead. If you take away the storyline of what Jesus said that death would do for you and I, that it would cover sins once and for all, that it would cause you to be reconciled and redeemed before God. If you take away that story, how would your life change right now? Think about it. Why live tomorrow? Or at least, why live the way you've been living tomorrow? 
Because if you take away that storyline, what changes? Everything. All of a sudden, death becomes something to be feared, right? Because you don't know what's after it. Or if something hard comes your way tomorrow, how are you going to get through it when it's left up to you because there's nobody that knows what goes beyond it? I mean, think about the hardships you go through. The reason why we're able to get through it is because we know that we serve a God who knows tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. It's good that we don't know tomorrow. I mean, think about this. If you knew what was in tomorrow, would you be willing to live it? Some of those days, yes. But not all of them. You see, the cross is so central to our daily lives that sometimes we even forget why we have peace. Why we don't fear death. And for those of you that maybe walked in this room not having a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're here likely because you have a question. What are the messages you're hearing in life that says you can have hope in something to go forward? You're sitting amongst a room of people that would say, if we didn't have the story of Jesus, life changes. We live out of hope because Christ said that my life was sufficient. My death is sufficient. My resurrection is sufficient. And so therefore, everything you've ever done to separate yourself from God has been paid for and covered and reconciled, therefore, back to God for those who trust in Him. Amen. And it's by that hope that I cling to when the worst of news comes my way or when an unexpected moment happens. I do not fret as if something is out of control because I know there's someone in control. Amen. You see, when you have that, it's in those moments when life should be in chaos or there should be some kind of darkening of our countenance. That It's in those moments that the testimony of the work of Jesus Christ in a person's life is on its greatest display. When tragedy happens, it's those who walk in hope that are sought for answers. It's not the hopeless ones. It's not those who just all life seems to stop in that moment. It's not those you seek for answers. It's the one that in spite of how difficult things are getting, seem to still believe there's purpose, there's control, there's guidance, and there's something to hope in. And as a result, that leads to the fourth and final point, and it's this. Hope as a result creates the opportunity to proclaim. Hope creates the opportunity to proclaim. Think about how you discovered Jesus Christ. Somebody near you had to live out that there is hope in the message of the gospel, Jesus Christ. Somebody near you had to emote hope for you to beg the question to understand this is something worth giving your life to. 
1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And when you respond to him, do this with gentleness and respect. Now, if you've been coming to our services regularly, how many times have we quoted that verse? At least six or seven times. You see, hope in a person's life is meant to be a testimony to another, to begin to beg the question, how I can have that same hope. It's in this moment that we need to acknowledge that without the cross, without what he did there, you and I would not have purpose, you would not have the peace that you have, and you would not have the ability to make it through the difficulties of life. And for that, should that not cause the greatest level of thankfulness in your life? Which is why in this moment, in the middle of a sermon, I want to pause and come to this table with gratefulness. Because this is our opportunity to express in remembrance that our hope does not come from us. Our hope is drawn from something greater, the message of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to help serve communion, would you come at this time? And we're going to all remember what Jesus has done. And I recognize I have just spoken to those who have that hope. If you walked in this room not having a relationship with Jesus, God's Spirit can be knocking at your heart saying, This is true. This is true. I see hope here. And if God's Spirit is doing that upon your heart, you can join us in this communion right now by acknowledging that you fall short of God's standard. That you need Him. And that you believe that, that Jesus, His Son, is the bridge in relationship from you back to the Creator God. And then you simply need to commit your life to him and let him be Lord, the leader of your life. And if you do that in this moment by just crying out to God and say, you are my Lord and I need you, you can discover the hope that all of us that are in this room that have had that relationship have. And then you can participate in the remembrance of the table that gives us that opportunity. If you're visiting here today and you come from another church and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're welcome to participate with us. This is an open communion. We will receive the elements and then we'll take them all together. So simply hold on to them until it comes that time. Jesus, on the moment that he's sitting at this table, he took the bread that they had been eating from and he held it up before them and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take this in remembrance of all I've done before your eyes. So let's do so now, remembering Christ in the body.
Then sometime later at the table, this was the significant news they did not expect. He said, this, what's in this cup is of a new covenant. It's my blood. You came to Jerusalem thinking the sacrifice was going to be a lamb that would cover over your sins temporarily. But you're going to leave Jerusalem knowing that there's been a perfect lamb, me, that's going to die for you and this will forever cover sins, both past, present, future, once and for all. And then they took of it, understanding this is a new covenant. Let's take this together. Jesus, we have hope. We walked in these doors not fearing death. We walked in these doors not fearing our future. We walked in these doors confident that someone knows our tomorrows. And so therefore we can live today. That's all because of your work on the cross. Taking our sins upon you so that once and for all, we can be redeemed. We celebrate you and we give you glory and honor, Jesus Christ. Amen. Daniel 12 contains arguably the most important part of the entire book of Daniel. As you're going to discover that the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually revealed in its final pages. Imagine with Daniel, as we talked about two weeks ago, he was in such a dark place in the sense of fear and not understanding that he began to fast and pray, like, God, help me understand these visions I keep having. For three weeks, three weeks he labored before God, hoping for a message because what he had seen in these visions was horrifying. God finally allows him this opportunity, and we, we learned two weeks ago that God immediately dispatched, dispatched a messenger to give him the understanding of these visions. But there's much that we cannot see that goes on in the spiritual realms. But there was a battle that needed to be won in the spiritual realms before the message was able to come to Daniel. So for three weeks, he waited. But at the end of those three weeks, the messenger comes and gives him the understanding that he'd been seeking with this vision. And it takes several chapters in Daniel, and it's now coming to a conclusion. And so the angel finishes the message, and here's what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 8. I heard but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all of this? So basically, God defines the vision. He explains everything about what he saw in the vision. But only to that point where the vision ends. And not all the details are filled in. But now Daniel wants to understand well, okay, 
I understand now what this vision means, but what comes after? What comes after? That's a fair question, is it not? If God gives you explanation of everything that you can see in the moment, but then he doesn't tell you what's next, the natural response, human response is, well, what's next? What comes after this? Daniel didn't ask an unfair question, and God responds to him. Continuing verse 9. Go your way, Daniel, because the words are now rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. So basically, we're done talking about this. Ever been there with your parents? You're asking a question, they tell something, they get to a certain point, and then you're like, and then they end it. And then you're like, well, what comes next? It's not for you to know. That comes later. I've rolled it up. The storybook's done. Next sequel, not coming out. I mean, don't you know Star Wars series comes out about every 10 years? <laughs> So Daniel's told to basically keep going. You know, I, I, I've, you've asked a fair question, but go your way, Daniel. This is done. No need to stop here. I mean, again, think about, would you be willing to live tomorrow if you knew everything that's coming tomorrow? God felt it was enough to have shared what he shared. It was not needed for Daniel to go forward in his life to know the outcome of what comes after all these visions. But God did give him a very important part of his redemptive story. Verse 10. So while everything about these visions has been sealed up, it's done. You're not going to know until the end what happens. But you need to know this. Verse 10, many, many will be purified. Many will be made spotless. And many will be refined. Okay. How many of you have read Daniel in your lifetime more than five times? All right? Did you ever notice the gospel right there? Think about it. It's so easy from this side of the cross to read this and be like, of course. And not even realize this is a revelation to what Jesus is going to do in the lives of people. I mean, look what it says. Many will be purified. <coughs> purified as in made completely holy. And if you didn't understand that, it says made spotless. However, how else can you be made spotless and made purified? Do we have any other way to explain that? In Daniel's lifetime, he does not know the story of the cross. Does not know it. But God's telling him there will be a time where many will be made purified and spotless. He must have been scratching his head like, how can this be? Because even he's not spotless. He's not purified. As great a man as Daniel is, he would not claim himself to be spotless or purified, let alone refined, which is the third statement. Wow. So there's going to be a time 
where people on this earth will be made purified. They'll be made spotless. They will be made refined. In other words, made absolutely pure. Everything that is impure in you will be burned out and creating this beautiful end game. This beautiful end structure. And it's human beings. Wow. So many. But then God also says this. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand. But those who are wise will understand. All right, so there's going to be this future. Again, keep in mind, Daniel does not know the story of the Messiah. He has all, a lot of the prophecies at his fingertips to know there is a coming Messiah. They know that there's going to be this great leader, but he doesn't understand all yet what's going to happen through this Messiah. And here, he's being told there will be a day when many will be purified, many will be made spotless, and many will be refined. But there will still be wicked, and the wicked will continue to not understand. But those who are wise will. Let me take you to something in Scripture that Jesus says. It's in Matthew 13. You don't have to, to go there right now, but if you want to write a note, go to Matthew 13 at some point later in your own readings, and look at what Jesus says when asked, why do you speak in parables? Jesus said, in response to that question, I speak in parables because there are some who hear but never hear. Some who see but really never see. But then there are those who see and those who are, are there that also can truly hear. He says, there are people that will walk around that will hear things I speak. Jesus is saying this. There are people that are, can hear what I'm speaking. They can see what I'm doing, but they do not really understand. They see, but are never seeing. They hear, but they're never hearing. But then Jesus concludes this in response to the question. He says, but blessed, but blessed, blessed are those who see and hear, and can understand. Do you realize that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, and you understand his gift and sacrifice for you, and that you have received it for yourself, and you've made him Lord of your life, do you realize how blessed you are? You are the most blessed people here on this earth. Sitting here right now, Jesus says, you are blessed if you can see and understand. If you can hear and understand. It says back in Daniel, when God's explaining this to Daniel about, again, about a season that Daniel does not get yet. Because it's not in his lifetime, it's later. There will be people that will be made spotless, purified, and refined. That had to be mind-blowing on its own. But then he's also told, but the wicked will continue to be wicked, and the wicked will continue to do so because they do not understand. And then he ends with this statement, but those who are wise, but those who are wise will understand. 
Proverbs 9, 9.10, 19.10, I'm sorry, says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay, this was written by Solomon, who predates Daniel. And Solomon is saying, listen, the fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. I mean, think about it. Any of us here in this room that has ever pursued Jesus Christ had to come to a place where they realize there is a God and I'm not him. You have to get there. That there is a God and I'm not him. And as a result of that wise moment, that, that true revelation, you go on a journey to discover who God is. If I'm not him, then I need to discover who he is. And then it says, and once you discover the knowledge of the Holy One, then you get understanding. I mean, think about if you take Jesus out of the storyline of the scriptures. Would we have the ability to truly understand God's heart? You see, the Holy One, Jesus, is the revelation of God's heart. It is by which we can understand the whole intent of creation. That man was created, mankind was created to have a relationship with the creator, God. And because of that, God's love for his creation was such that he was willing to spare no expense but to send his one and only son to die on a cross to redeem that creation. And as a result, for those who receive him, we understand that we are in need of the saving work. We understand that that work was accomplished for us on our behalf by Jesus himself. And that as a result of that, God is satisfied. And then allows the relationship to be rekindled for those who have faith in the work of the Holy One. So as Daniel hears... The wise will be the ones that will learn and understand. And it says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And when you discover that there is a God and you pursue him, then when you come into the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ, then understanding comes. So having said that, the conclusion of all of this is that if Daniel was told, after all that had happened in Daniel's life, listen, it's rolled up. The scrolls are rolled up. And they're still rolled up today. We know from the book of Revelation that they will be opened up. And we know more about the story that will happen and be the outcome. But this is the most important thing to hear. Is that there will be many that will be purified. Many who will be made spotless. And many who will be refined. And only the wise will understand us. And the fear of the Lord is where that all begins. There is a God, and you and I are not Him. So the final points are this. The takeaways from the entire series is that hope in Christ alone is what will transform you. Hope in Christ alone is what will transform you. 
and a hope-filled person will get opportunities to explain how. A hope-filled person will be given opportunities to explain how they have that hope. And then it's those who share out of a humble spirit that will be heard. If you think by speaking out of a judgmental or arrogant spirit that you will win the day, you might win the day, but you won't win the soul. It's the humble spirit. That's why Peter said, gentleness and respect. It's through that our explanation of hope is heard. And then, this is where I love. Jesus promises that when we open our mouths to explain what has happened in our lives, that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. So the words filled with the wisdom and Spirit of God will be what transforms other people. So in your life, do emote hope. Is hope what people would say they see in you? The hope of Christ that has transformed you. And as a result, are you prepared, as Peter says, to explain why you have hope? With that humble spirit, with words filled with wisdom that can only come from God. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful we're on this side of the cross that we're not receiving this in mystery as Daniel had to receive it. But we know, <laughs> we've experienced what it means to be made spotless. And that's a head scratcher. Because we are fully aware of how we fall short. But yet, by faith, we trust that you see us through the blood of Christ, which therefore is, you see us as whiter than snow. Thank you, Jesus, for your work upon the cross. May your name be exalted. And may the fear of the Father God through the understanding, through you and your life and your story, bring about people who are now wise unto truth that leads them to a transformation that causes hope to begin. So to that end, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we conclude the series? I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that my life is not built on me. And it's not built on you. It's built on something greater than us. That's what we get to hope for, is that there is something greater, and it gives us purpose it gives us intention. It helps mark the path through the difficult times when the storms are such that we can't see everything. And that even when we don't understand, we can trust in the heart of the one who does. That's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you would like to talk with somebody further about this relationship, we'll have people underneath the cross that's to my right, your left, that would be glad to talk with you. I will also be up front. This is a true story that we want you to embrace and find purpose for your life. And for those of you that walked in this room knowing Jesus, 
I really hope you walk out of here encouraged because you're blessed. You are blessed because of what Jesus has done. It should be no other attitude but to walk out of here with a smile on your face because you are blessed. Having said that, go out, you blessed ones, because we have a message that others need to hear. Amen. We'll see you next week.